Welcome to the Drive Time News Flash. 30 minutes, 50 for subscribers of News of the Day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. Our top story, let's go straight to what looks like good news on the vaccine front. OSHA has suspended Biden's mandate because the Court of Appeals told them to, and they listened to them, and they said in their statement that on November 12th, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit granted a motion to stay OSHA's COVID-19 vaccination and testing emergency temporary standard. And the court ordered OSHA to take no steps to implement or enforce the ETS until further court order. And they say that while OSHA remains confident in its authority to protect workers in emergencies, they have suspended the activities related to the implementation and enforcement of the ETS pending further developments in the litigation. So is this a good thing or a bad thing? It's probably going to end up in the Supreme Court and that precedent that's set is going to be the law of the land. So it's good they're not implementing it, but yeah. I do worry what the Supreme Court's going to find ultimately. I did look at that Opinion last week, I was saying the gals from North Carolina sent me that opinion a few days ago. I put it in the show notes here for today. And one of the things that caught my eye, which we talked about, I think earlier this week was it said, well, it's overly broad in that it has this huge impact on business, but it's overly narrow because why do businesses with over 100 people get to protect their workers and with under 100 does not. And that is a theme that I've heard emerging. Like yesterday, we heard the story of labor unions wanting the mandate because they're saying that 100 people is too high a bar. So that that's the one little piece of that opinion that I don't like the door that that opens. So well, let's be cautiously optimistic. What I am happy about, though, is that it kicks the can down the road. So A, it'll give people who are fighting their hardest to resist more kind of courage to do that because there may be light at the end of the tunnel, or at least they've had a reprieve. And a listener texted me this morning or DM'd me this morning saying, uh, I had submitted a religious exemption request. I hadn't heard, hadn't heard. And then all of a sudden I heard that it was being considered and this on the heels of OSHA withdrawing the mandate that gave that person some hope. And I bet that's happening just cascading across the country. And and I did point out that the labor thing, the labor union thing is a theme. So finish what you're saying. And I have a little bit on that. Oh, that's all I had to say on that is just to present that to, to everyone. And it seems like a good thing. I hope it's a good thing. But ultimately, it's going to lie in the hands of the Supreme Court, I think. Maybe. And in but the labor union thing, I, I've noticed them more and more as a tool. I saw on the front page of the journal today that Biden, as part of the social spending bill, which is the second infrastructure or the thing that they were calling a human infrastructure ridiculously, has some incentives in there for electric vehicles. But if the electric vehicle is made with union labor here, the incentive is twelve thousand five hundred dollars. If it isn't, the incentive is four thousand five hundred dollars. So that looks to me like it gives the car companies reason to want to increase the labor of like the United Auto Workers, whatever. They embrace labor unions at that point. And I heard that Ford was going to start manufacturing its own chips. I wouldn't be surprised if that's a function of policy. But I've been trying to puzzle through why Biden is so pro-union all of a sudden. And the answer is obvious once I step back that 
as I as I synthesize what I've noticed about the labor unions just being shills to push down and the pilots, the union, the United Auto Workers, SEIU, all this stuff, just shills to pu- push down these policies, especially vaccine mandates and all that kind of thing. So as I realized that, of course, I recalled the crisis of democracy, which said, how do you deal with the democratic unrest in the 60s and whatever? The answer is, if you make everybody beholden to an institution that's fundamentally non-democratic, like a corporation or a university or a labor union, they will just go along with what is in the interest of the thing that they are dependent on. So the labor union is, a, is, I think, making a resurgence as a major control apparatus for the labor that we have left. Yeah, they're a tool of backdoor fascism for the Great Reset, where they have the entrepreneurs come in, they cause a stir, just like Solinsky, and they pretend to be speaking for the people when they're getting orders from the top down. Electric cars, as you mentioned, Biden is helping promote electric cars. Yesterday, he was at a new GM plant that is called GM Zero, I think, because it's their first plant is complete. A factory Zero is what it's called. It's their new EV electric vehicle fat manufacturing facility in Detroit. And Biden got to promote the use of electric vehicles by driving an electric Hummer around the factory right after he had given a Hummer to uh, Xi Jinping, the car. I think he had given a car, the Hummer, to Xi Jinping. Um, and opening this factory, GM They're working to meet a pledge that they and other auto manufacturers like Ford, GM and Mercedes made, which they pledged to have 50 percent of their products by 2030 to be all electric and to eliminate all gas powered vehicles by 2035. So obviously we're going to see more and more electric vehicles on the roads if these manufacturers are exclusively making them. But while Biden is promoting the use of them, what we're what we're seeing on, on the other end of it is we're seeing experts in electric vehicles and car safety are warning firefighters that they need to be more prepared for the fires that come from electric vehicles because they're more dangerous. It takes them longer to put out and we're going to see more of these cars. In fact, there was this Woodland, Texas fire chief, his name is Palmer Buck, where he said that a normal car fire takes about 50 or 500 gallons of water to put out, while a recent electric car fire that they handled took them 28,000 gallons of water to put out. And that it took them four hours to handle the electric car versus 30 minutes it takes them in other situations. And we've also seen other examples where an electric car that caught fire on a California highway started burning again at the tow, tow yard five days later. Wow. And cars that are on the tow truck that firefighters thought they had put out are bursting into flames again. So these are dangerous. There's people who died. They got stuck in a Tesla back in Houston in April. Biden's promoting the use of these things, which are showing to be a, a pretty dangerous on the highway. And I wouldn't be surprised. And there's some reason to believe that they're not even superior from an environmental point of view, primarily because of the the heavy metals and stuff that are used in making it. So I start to think that it really has nothing ever has. I don't think any of the environmental stuff, climate change, any of it really has to do with what's good for the environment at all. But I would think that the, so then why are we doing this particular thing? Maybe it's because an electric vehicle is much easier to stop down, control, cut off the resource. The grid goes down. You can't, you don't, 
So the guns, gold, and a getaway are the three things they don't want you to have. And it's the three things you kind of want to have. So it's harder to have your getaway with these electric cars. Driverless cars, you will have no getaway because you won't have a driverless car. Driverless car is just going to be like a individualized trolley kind of. And I also wonder if, did you see Biden actually driving that? Because you had that great catch when he was advertising the Ford car that he supposedly was driving and you saw his secret service guy had a teeny little steering wheel next to him i think you were right about that did you happen to see biden driving this one i didn't see i saw him sitting talking to reporters i didn't investigate on no no not to investigate but just i would be yeah no they they say that he was but because he was not allowed to drive as a vp he was not allowed to drive he's certainly not allowed to drive as the president he probably hasn't driven a car in since he was on the jay leno show but he's a car guy he says he says he likes cars he's never driven a car like this before he has a beautiful British racing green. It looks like vet that his father gave him, I believe, on his wedding day to his first wife. Uh, and he still has that. So he might be a car guy. Yeah. I saw this story about R. Kelly that well, wasn't a story. It was I look at the FBI press releases every now and then to see what they're prosecuting. And I thought this was an interesting story that might give some insight into how some of the jurors might be feeling in the Kyle Rittenhouse case. Here is what their press release says. It's a defendant sentenced to 96 months in prison for arson committed to threaten victim in R. Kelly case. So the federal courthouse in Brooklyn, they sentenced somebody named Michael Williams in the U.S. District Court to 96 months for setting fire to a vehicle at the home of a victim witness who was expected to testify at trial in the U.S. versus R. Kelly. And here's what he did. On June 11th, Williams poured gasoline around a SUV parked outside of a residence in Florida where a victim witness in the Kelly case was staying and and set the car on fire. At the time of the arson, there were four adults, including the victim witness in the Kelly case and two children inside the home. And Williams committed the arson to prevent that witness from continuing to cooperate in the R. Kelly case. The witness's mom called 911 and told the 911 operator that her grandchildren, whose cries you could hear in the background of the call were in the home and they were unsure if it was safe to remain in the house given the risk and the car was a lease so it caused heavy damage that they had to pay for so witness intimidation jury intimidation it's a real thing and i can't imagine what the people who are jurors in this kyle rittenhouse case might feel because we already saw the case with chauvin where there was some suspected intimidation of jurors there i don't know what can be proved there but if the case here gets if he's found guilty then what we could see whether it's true or not but what is projected by the media is that intimidating the jury works and you can subvert justice by intimidating the jury successfully without consequence well this guy suffered the consequences though Well, the jury is still out as of this airing of Rittenhouse. I think they're on their third day. The only other update was the histrionics continue with the judge banning MSNBC from the courtroom because of some, I don't know. uh, Yeah, maybe it was witness intimidation or jury intimidation because I guess a, a vehicle was supposedly following them. 
maybe they're sequestered and it seemed to trace back to MSNBC. I'm not really paying attention to the blow by blow of the silly Kabuki theater that they're rolling out around this. I am kind of trying to figure out what is the backstory on this Thomas Binger, the prosecutor. It just seems like a setup. The judge seemed like they just seem like they're playing roles. So I all the articles, backstories about these guys is in this Kenosha, local Kenosha news. And I finally relented and bought a subscription to it so I could read these articles and they won't let me get to articles that are more than two years old. So I'm really bamboozled. I cannot get to the backstory and I really am interested. I mean, there are a couple of stories that piqued my interest in this um, because they're just, I don't know. I mean, I have to wonder if these people were put up to it because they have some funny business in their past. Yeah. What I saw with that, the guy who was following the bus the yeah. Kenosha police tweeted out that they took somebody in who claims to be with MSNBC and that they believe that person might have been taking photos, although they have not found the photos yet. The investigation is still open. Oh, OK. So that story is going to keep rolling out, even though my guess is it's completely meaningless and possibly fabricated. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, but it just sounds like since there's like, oh, we don't know what it's really all about. Like, ugh, it's so ridiculous. But there is one thing that I found to be interesting about the Kyle Rittenhouse case. And now at the same time, the Ahmad or Arbery case is out there in being tried in Georgia that, and I'll tell you a little bit about that in a second, is that in both cases, the, the, one of the claims by the defense, and I think these are maybe supported in the videos is that the victim of the bullet was trying to grab the gun from the person who's on trial. And that's a very dangerous business right there. And I think if these weren't such high profile cases, like in the Arbery case, they didn't even, weren't even going to try these guys. They weren't even going to put them on trial. Maybe for that reason, there's a lot of possible reasons. The Arbery guys were connected with the police and had um, the one guy was an investigator for the police. So there's a lot of, you know, you could say it was behind the scenes stuff, but it might not have been. He might've just thought he couldn't have won the case. Did you have a comment on that? Well, I just thought it was interesting because I noticed that a couple of days ago that the central kind of fact that is at play in both of these cases is fighting over the gun. Is is it was it provocation yeah. in the Rittenhouse case? And over here, does it turn into self-defense in the case with Ahmed Aubrey when he goes after the gun? It's there's a whole cascade of of gun themes and memes that I think we're probably going to want to spend the entire rest of the show on. Let me just tell you just a little bit about the Arbery thing. And I mean, I've got a ton last um, big story at the free 30. I'm sure that's going to bleed into the XR. So. A defendant took the stand, the guy supposedly killed him, McMichael. And uh, I just what what was really noteworthy so far for me is how the Wall Street Journal. So remember, the Wall Street Journal is supposed to be the one on the right and the New York Times is the one on the left. But the Wall Street Journal always frames this stuff exactly the way they frame it on the left. So I've been listening to Fox News, which is a relative of the Wall Street Journal. And in the journal itself, they call it the jogger killing. The jogger killing. They always act like the guy was just jogging. And if you so let me read you just a few passages that really lay out the story, I think, just like two or three sentences. They so again, but the the so the three defendants are 
on the it seems like they are on the same trial, but they're being defended by different people, which can really put each other into jeopardy, I would think. And McMichael is taking the stand, which is just so weird to me. Already this guy is on the stand like that is just fishy to me. I don't know why he's doing it. Maybe if it's like a joint trial like that, there is a better reason than the Kyle Rittenhouse thing. But okay, so the way the Wall Street Journal lays it out, and I didn't realize uh, till the very end of the sentence that this was not their editorial opinion or their fact reporting. It says Mr. Arbery, 25, was unarmed and out for a run when he was killed during daylight hours in Satilla Shores or Satilla Shores, a predominantly white residential area outside Brunswick, Georgia, according to prosecutors. Mr. Arbery was black. The three defendants are white. So they laid it out. There's no quotes or anything on that. And it's pretty early in the story. It it definitely sets in your mind that this guy was out jogging. Now, you and I, when we first saw the video, were like, this guy isn't in jogging attire. And he did not look like he was jogging. He might have been running from them because they were chasing him. But he didn't look I, I wouldn't characterize him as a jogger. Yeah, so, I wouldn't either. Yeah. It says McMichael said the. Incident came after his neighborhood had seen a sharp increase in crime for months. Now, we actually debated that when it was first revealed. What they actually saw was like a gun was taken from the front seat. They noticed that somebody was snooping around in a house that had been under construction and more or less abandoned. And that they actually came out with a video of that. And it looked to me, I don't know if you remember, it looked like the same guy. Yeah, it looked like he was in the house, and the argument on the other side of that was he was trying to get water from the house. Okay, because they're trying to say it wasn't even him, that it might not even have been him. But I I thought that wasn't even in dispute. So uh, it says, now McMichael says on the stand, and I don't remember this from the original story, 12 days before the shooting at a vacant house under construction, McMichael claims he had an encounter with a man who appeared to be armed and threatened him. And McMichael claims it was the same guy. Now there's no mention that there was a video of Arbery in that house or who appeared to be Arbery. There's no mention of video at all in the wall street journal article, but I don't remember him saying he had an altercation with an, with Arbery armed in that house. Do you? I remember him saying that there was he, he like approached the house and there was somebody coming out of it. It was sometime before at night and he thought it was that guy. I, but I the think armed yeah. is what I'm asking. Do you remember yeah. him claiming he, he had the, he had a gun? That's what I thought. Too. Yeah, I don't remember this him is, saying that the other person had a gun. This is a different detail, in my opinion. So McMichael said that he was thinking, let's try to hold him for the police to talk to him when asked why they were chasing him. Now, again, no, mm. no mention in the Wall Street Journal article that that is highly plausible since his father was an investigator for the cops and I think had a law enforcement history of his own. So and then uh, just two more things. There is a state prosecutor, Linda Donikoski. She said that McMichael shot Arbery while Arbery was still yards away and then shot him again after a brief physical struggle. Now, we saw that video and that is absolutely not consistent with my memory of that video of when Arbery is was the first mover on the gun and did not get shot till after he grabbed the gun. 
Yeah, I think they said they released another video. I haven't seen that other oh. video, but I, I don't know if it shows what but, they're claiming that that shows. But yeah, you're right. It, that did not seem to be the case in the video that's out there. I watched his testimony and he's not likable. It's hey. not. Yeah, he, it's, he seems like a racist. So he's like the perfect stereotype well, of a racist. I'm not saying he is. I'm just no, saying. No, I wouldn't be surprised. Cameras. He, I'd be surprised if he wasn't. I'd be surprised yeah. if he wasn't. But that's immaterial to right. the legal conditions here. That's that's the thing is that it's immaterial. But anyway, the statute uh, which he's relying on is this idea of the c- citizens' arrest, which. That statute was pretty immediately repealed after this happened. And citizen's arrest is really the most fundamental legal premise, in my opinion, in that you cannot empower the government as your agent to do something that you don't have the power to do. So I I would say that the entire law enforcement apparatus should take a step back and limit itself to things that you yourself would be justified in doing. So it's really upside down to me is that you can't have a gun for self-defense or you can't do citizen's arrest and they still can as if we've relinquished it to them and delegated it entirely with prejudice, which I don't I don't buy. And it says that uh, if the suspect is fleeing, this is civilian under that statute could make an arrest with if it had reason. He had reasonable and probable grounds of suspicion that the suspect committed a felony. And I was convinced that he did have those reasonable grounds in the early days of this when we're still seeing the raw video, which maybe is still out there. I'm not sure. But anyway, this is one to watch. Yeah, it's one to watch. They've been preparing for protests down there for six months as well. And they've already made it clear that even if they don't get convicted down there, they're also going to be facing federal hate crime charges, which I think is the ultimate goal here is to really codify what a hate crime is through signals and, and whatnot. Alec Baldwin, another gun story is a story people are talking about today where He's being sued by the script supervisor on the set of that Rust film over what happened where he shot and killed the cinematographer. And some people are kind of talking about this as though this is damning to Baldwin and that he could face criminal charges you know, stemming from this. I think they might be misreading this a little bit here. Maybe he faces criminal charges at some point in the future. I wouldn't hold my breath on that, but I wanted to point the story out for what it is, because this is a a charlatan exploiting circumstances of high public interest and for profit. So the story is that the script supervisor, Mamie Mitchell, she in a lawsuit claimed that Baldwin intentionally, without just cause or excuse, cocked and fired a, a, a loaded gun, even though the upcoming scene to be filmed did not call for the cocking and firing of a firearm. And in the complaint, she said that being an industry veteran, Baldwin should have known that the gun handed to him by the assistant director should not have been handed to him by that guy and should have been handed to him by the armorer and that they violated all protocol for use of guns on set. Now, all of that might be true and there might be some criminality found in that. However, the damages that are being sought are for assault, intentional infliction of emotional distress, deliberate intentional infliction of harm. And she's claiming psychological, emotional distress that she won't be able to work in the environment again because she suffered physically because of the psychological distress. The claim that the script didn't call for it is a weak claim. Scripts often allow for some imp- improvising within them. That's, that's a very weak claim to say that he didn't stick 
I, you know, perfectly the script. And it's also not going to help her case if she wants something legitimate, although she'll get money because her lawyer is Gloria Allred. Gloria Allred is a well-known con artist who actually paraded woman after woman in front of the cameras to do these bogus press you know, press conferences accusing Trump of sexually assaulting them. I mean, one after the, I watched so many of these and not one time was there a piece of actual evidence. One time it was just a random porn star that wasn't Stormy Daniels who basically described Trump flirting with her and cried while describing it. But what was the common theme in all of these cases is they all got either a book deal, they got funding for their restaurant, they got some giant GoFundMe going, or, or I don't remember if he settled any of those cases. I don't think he settled any of those cases, but that's the idea. She chooses these people who are in these circumstances where the people don't want to go to trial and she didn't just sue Baldwin. She sued the production company. She sued the armorer. She sued any producer on it. There's a long list of people that are sued and they don't want to go to trial. So I'm guessing she gets some sort of settlement or she gets a, a tell-all book to tell her story of what happened or a massive GoFundMe because they allow Allred allows them to pitch their story. And her story was that she's been working in the industry for 40 years. She's she's tired and she's the caretaker of her disabled sister, which she might be, but that's the angle they're pulling. This to me is an exploitation of the circumstances and nothing actually, I don't think Baldwin's going to be harmed because of this personally. Yeah. It sounds like by it's a very typical way of trying to get some money is that you name everybody and you inflate the charges because yeah. the claim that it would be intentional infliction of emotional distress is just impossible to believe unless he yeah. really had it in for them. It's really, it's, it looks clearly to me that it's negligent in that he should, you should never point a gun at somebody. You should never pull the trigger. They have those, that kind of policy on film sets. It's definitely was negligent, perhaps reckless. I, I mean, I would say it was reckless, absolutely reckless, but it was not, I don't think it was intentional unless he was trying to scare people. And then it would be intentional infliction of emotional distress. So maybe he was doing that, but he's a guy who supposedly hates the guns and people like that are usually afraid of them. Yeah, and I still trust Gloria Allred at all. Before we get to our final story of the Free 30, which is going to be about all propaganda roads lead to gun control, I want to tell you about what we're going to talk about in the DNBXR, which is that researchers have created AI to aid police that is being called a minority report for designer drugs. We'll tell you all about that. And ODs hit a record high. And of course, a big thanks to the sponsor of today's show, True Hemp Science. TrueHempScience.com are your CBD experts. What makes True Hemp Science different is that they create handcrafted, high-quality, full-spectrum CBD products by sourcing the highest-grade hemp from around the world. What I love is their Acapulco Gold Lotion with hemp extract. Smells natural, feels great. I love their awesome t-shirts because they look rock and roll and people always Hey, cool T-shirt, which gives you an opportunity to talk about hemp. And what I really love about them is that I didn't know anything about hemp at all, but they are more than willing to answer any questions you have. They're very informed and they're very, they will give you the personal attention that you need to get the products to help you out. So use the promo code prop code when you check out truehemscience.com slash prop report. Again, prop code on that promo code. 
And check us out on Rockfin. It, on Rockfin, you get ad-free DNBXR Monday through Wednesday with DNBXR live streamed with video and live chat every Thursday exclusively on Rockfin. You get all the Propaganda Report deep dives every other Friday. You get all interviews posted, early release with video when available exclusively on Rockfin. And you get all the Rockfin content of all the Rockfin creators, including our friends Sam Tripoli, Whitney Webb, Jimmy Dore, The Mad Ones, hundreds of others, lots of great content creators on there, all for nine. Nine ninety nine a month. Rockfin.com slash propaganda report. Sign up on our page. Now on to the final story of the free 30. Well, a lot of these gun control stories or stories around guns obviously are always trying to move people towards gun control. I assume like that is what it looks like. And of course, as a as a proponent of gun rights and Second Amendment rights and the rights of self-defense, that's how I see it. Now, it could have what you got? No, nothing. I just uh, I was laughing at uh, I saw a comment pop up that I did supposed to have blocked. <laughs> oh, I just well, it's just it's not funny to me because right, it's not. Is, that was my apologies. I didn't mean to is, laugh at that moment. This is the Second Amendment stuff that is um, they're always after. But it, it is possible that that there's something more to it because it seems to me the more they go after the second amendment, the more people buy more guns. So there was an article today that support for in the wall street journal support for gun restrictions hits seven year low. The support for gun restrictions hits a seven year low, which is kind of weird because here we have just elected supposedly plausibly a democratic president. And uh, that just surprises me. According to the poll, uh, 52% of adults want stricter gun laws down from 67% in 2018. So this is saying that the majority of people, I find that very hard to believe, but it's saying that it was up in 2018 because of the Parkland killing. And that's so that's very interesting to me that they can have that kind of an impact that would really justify looking at some of these things as false flags or the way that they're presented to us as false flags. And uh, the this is really interesting. It says those who support a ban on the possession of handguns fell to 19 percent, the lowest ever recorded since the first poll in 1959, when 60 percent of the people said they wanted it. So over the years, as gun control has increased, it looks like support for gun control has decreased. Maybe people do know the true nature of the stats. Uh, they but here was really interesting point is that the number of homicides in the U.S. rose nearly 30 percent in 2020. And that was already on top of a record year. So that's very interesting. Um, But remember what John Lott told us about they say homicides, even they say gun homicides, even they say intentional homicides. But if 90 percent of those were defensive, that's an argument for gun Rights, not gun control. So that's really interesting. But here was the thing that I found very interesting. If they said that the most people are not in favor of further gun restrictions, that folds into the red flag laws. So we just had this conversation with Nikki Ghoster. I think we released it on early release, but we haven't released it all the way yet. Um, we're just waiting for the right slot to put it in the free feed. She was, it was really a great conversation. She was the author of a book called Stalked and Defenseless, How Gun Control Helped My Stalker Murder My Husband in Front of Me. 
But this was a an article that I also saw recently, red flag gun laws used unevenly. And they talk about how Florida and Long Island wield these red flag laws better and more often than New York and Chicago. But of course, New York and Chicago have almost total gun ban. So anyone who has a gun there, you would just arrest them for having the gun because the gun is inherently illegal. You only use red flag laws to take away guns of people who own them legally. And here was the kicker that I noticed in that article, which I found shocking, is that they said uh, that supporters, supporters of red flag laws as if those were as if the supporters of red flag laws are supporters of gun rights, which they most definitely are not, except for that Lindsey Graham is leading the charge. But it says supporters say the measures are a way to keep guns away from troubled individuals threatening to kill others or themselves without regulating the sale or manufacture of firearms. So they're saying that people who support gun rights like the red flag laws because it keeps you from having statutes that regulate firearms and guns. Now, that folds into that would be an interesting thing that they're moving towards the red flag laws to confiscate guns from people because there's declining support of regulation. And here's the problem with the red flag laws is that not only is there no due process. I mean, it, I believe that constitutionally you should people who are committed for mental reasons or get their guns taken away for any reason at all should have at least the same rights as someone accused of murder before their liberties or property or um any of their basic rights are taken away from them. You're accused of murder. You get a jury trial with your peers, and it must be unanimous. I feel like it should be the same for all of this stuff. But the red flag laws don't have any of that. As Trump said, we can worry about take the guns first and worry about due process later. This gets people killed. This gets the gun owners killed because they sometimes defy getting that taken away. They they sometimes wonder why there's somebody sneaking around their house. They get killed. And then the but the bigger problem is not just that a neighbor who doesn't like you or in a the, one of the earliest cases, a, a family member who got an argument with a guy. It's that it can be in some of these, maybe all of them, it can be an anonymous tip. It can be an anonymous tip. So if it's an anonymous tip, it could be a cop who just wants to clear the area of guns. And this is something that I said to Nikki when we were talking to her. I can't believe it was in the newspaper not that long after. The article was all about putting incentives in place to increase the use of these Laws. So training um, cops and also telling people, if you see something, say something. It's just what I knew it would do that. Like just having that as an a resource isn't enough. They then are going to exploit it to try to get as many guns as possible. And then in closing here, there was a, a sheriff Polk County Sheriff said, when there's someone out here running around threatening to kill people and I have a tool at my disposal I don't use, I have a professional and political liability for not using it. Now, if you have somebody running around threatening to kill people, you have tools at your disposal that aren't red flag laws. I mean, that in itself is a crime. So you can arrest the person on those grounds. But if you use these red flag laws, just some anonymous tip or something without any form of due process, that what this sheriff is saying, and this could reflect the training that they're going to give the police, that he would be liable if he didn't exploit these laws. 
And I think that's where they're going. So this is a terrible slippery slope. It's intended to be a slippery slope. And they're going to use the objection to gun control as a justification for this. And this is your classic example of it will take Republicans to really get the guns away. And this is how you do it. And we're seeing a lot of mental health stories take center stage. The Falcons wide receiver is out for mental health reasons, not even an injury. But well, it's being classified similar to an injury. We're seeing the Britney Spears conservativeship thing where as she's been released from it, she seems to be acting more and more kind of off the rails on social media anyway. I believe that the mental health issue will go hand in hand with the pandemic issues as a way of social control to replace the war model that used to be the foundation of social control. They have finally found their substitute for war. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up. Do we have any shout outs today? No, but let's direct people to if they want to see the XR portion, of course. If you want to see the XR, then you go to rockfin.com slash propaganda report and you sign up there through our page and you will get to see the exclusive content and rockfin.com slash propaganda report. Thank you for watching. We will talk to you guys in the DMB XR or next time have a fantastic rest of your day